Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Greg Rosenthal of NFL Network and the Around the NFL podcast joins me to defend his tweets talking about free agency. We'll get to all the big stories, including Baker Mayfield, Russell Wilson, and a long aside on the Miami Dolphins. I hope you guys enjoy that. But first, I want to tell you about the First Draft podcast with ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates. Those three are keeping tabs on the latest in the NFL draft. And the show is now twice a week as we get close to the NFL draft. Two shows twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. And also check out Monday's show on YouTube as well. So check out the First Draft podcast, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And here is Greg Rosenthal. All right, joining me now, here is promised on the Bill Barnwell show, a man after my own heart, a man who is cranky about the contract numbers that come out during free agency, a man who sees the big picture, a man who is ranked 101 free agents, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That's right. You know, we're, we're working extra here at NFL.com. 101 free agents, possibly inspiring a very upsetting and disconcerting, uh, like sort of like mission creep kind of thing. I can't think of the right word, uh, like a mission bloat where there's going to be a contest now, or next year it's going to be someone doing 102. Well, she, uh, Sheil Kapadia at the Athletic went 150. So next went, year, I'm going to have to go 151. Yeah, he very went, annoying. He went 150, and he came up with three fits for every NFL team in free agency. Thankfully, Sheil's not here. Total monster. <laughs> but we do have... Sorry, I don't want to insult Sheil, who I love. Uh, we do have Greg Rosenthal of NFL Network and NFL.com. Greg, what's up? It, it is good to talk to you, Bill. You know, we, I, now we're the old, the old wizen guard here. You know, we've, we've known each other and been working together for like 15 years now. We, we worked together for like a year and then have not worked together. For right. Well, we haven't worked years. together, but I'm saying we're doing the same stuff. It's close. To we are, we are working in parallel ways. Uh, of, of much respect on my end to all of the. Greg Rosenthal activities across the various football landscape over the past 15 years, as I'm sure you know, but hopefully other people know as well. But I wanted to have you on, Greg, because I feel like you are someone who approaches free agency from a very different perspective. I think there is a very easy way to approach free agency, which is just to get excited and overblown and thrilled about every possible signing and all the money being spent. And then there is Greg Rosenthal. Just being honest about the process, just being uh, sort of, sort of dismayed, sort of, uh, you know, poking holes in what's happening here, and I feel like that is a valuable perspective to have in the first few days of free agency. Is that fair to say? Am I characterizing? I mean, yeah, you're making me sound like a old like crank here, like <laughs> Larry David or something. I love free agency week. I was just thinking this. Last night, like this, this might be my favorite sports week of the year. Free agency and Indian Wells tennis um, combined. It's it's a delicious uh, experience. So all any anything you're taking as criticism, it's just it comes from love. It's more the okay. the reporting that I have a problem with in our industry. Oh, sometimes boy. that's where I'm cranky. Oh boy, media critic Greg Rosenthal coming in on the show. We're not gonna do media critic maybe we'll do a little bit of media criticism today we'll see um but what we will do greg what i wanted to do is something i've never done on the show before i am going to literally go through your tweets i'm just going to go through your tweets about free agency and we are going to use that to form a discussion about the major topics happening in the national football league and we could start right at number one well when you told me this last night i thought you were joking i it was only two minutes ago that i realized you were serious that that's really the format okay that's that's exactly what i'm doing (laughs) what what else that is exactly how i want to approach this and i i'm going to give you the chance first i'm going to say the tweet i will read it verbatim i will give you the opportunity to contextualize it i'll give you the the opportunity to abandon it if it's if it's an opinion you have that you want to just throw away and say I screwed that one up, that's fine by me too. I'm not going to judge you. I'm just going to give you a chance to elucidate how you want to approach this topic. 
I delete those. So I, I should stand behind them all. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Let's start with Greg Rosenthal two hours ago, quote tweeting the Seattle Seahawks statements from Jody Allen, Pete Carroll and Sean Schneider. Greg Rosenthal has to say this, quote unquote, never seen a goodbye statement begin with he started it. So what do you think, Greg, about what's happened here in Seattle? Uh, and the sort of unified front we saw in these quotes from uh, ownership, the head coach, and the general manager of the Seattle Seahawks. I think it was highly entertaining. I love this stuff. <laughs> I, you know, I've been like fascinated by this whole situation since the moment Russell Wilson and his agent went on the record of the teams that he wanted to be traded to, except he wasn't asking mm -hmm. for a trade. And like ever since Correct. then, it's been this incredibly passive aggressive war between these two sides, trying to look like the good guy in what was an inevitable divorce. But I think like everyone's an adult and totally understands why and, and how it happened. But yeah, the, to quote the Jody Allen, the chair of the Seahawks, the, the first line in her statement was, while Russell made it clear he wanted this change, comma, mm. he made Seattle proud, yada, yada, we look forward to. It. And then in Pete Carroll's statement, uh, he also refers to, as Jody stated, Russ's desire in doing something different. So they're putting it totally on him. And I give <laughs> Lindsey Jones of The Athletic a ton of credit for reading these mm -hmm. statements, which were made literally as Russell Wilson was going up to the podium at 203 central time you know emphasis on the three and i watched they mm -hmm. they stuck to it it really was 203 uh they they posted this the second russell wilson went up there incredibly petty and lindsey jones <laughs> asked russell wilson about it uh who essentially denied it and had like the most honest moment of that press conference was just a look at his on his face when she asked him that question and he was just <laughs> like those I, I can't say what, but those, you know, we'll, we'll have to talk about it in the future when I write a book, what the real truth is. <laughs> it's great. Oh, always getting ready for the next project, Russell Wilson. That's why <laughs> Lindsay Jones is a regular contributor to the Bill Barnwell show, asking the tough questions, asking the stuff we want to hear. I, I, I feel like this confirmed my read on this trade and not always right about this stuff. And I might not be right about this trade for for that matter. But this has felt to me like it's not really about the relationship between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. It's not about, um, you know, it, it's not about Russell Wilson not signing a contract. They did say they didn't think he would sign another extension. It just feels like Pete Carroll and maybe to some extent John Schneider view the game of football very different from the way that people outside the NFL view the game of football. Russell Wilson throwing the ball seems like a good thing to Pete Carroll. It doesn't seem like a good thing to, <laughs> to um, you know, the formula they had in 2012 was we have a cheap quarterback, we run the ball a ton effectively, and we have a great defense. And that team was built almost the opposite by the time that they moved on from Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner a couple weeks ago. And, you know, Pete Carroll went in this press conference and said that they had a great grade in the draft on Drew Locke. Um, they said this was an opportunity. They were sur pleasantly surprised with how good of an offer they got for Russell Wilson. Like all, all this stuff seems at odds with pretty much everyone else's opinion. Mm. So, Greg, do you feel like Pete Carroll is just a contrarian and a and a good contrarian? Like, like, how, what do you? What do you take away from Pete Carroll's sort of broader comments about the Russell Wilson situation during this press conference? That the relationship had run its course and that these are people and that the way Russell Wilson had sort of been agitating for changes to the offense, which they which they tried to do. You know, they did let him throw the ball more in the 2020 season. And eventually he had the worst stretch of healthy play of his entire career down the stretch of, of 2020. Ooh. I mean, I don't, I don't even think there's any question. It was the first time I've ever watched him and, and thought like he's not helping them. His style is, is not helping them. Uh, then he had the injury this year. They, they tried to hire a coordinator that he approved of in Shane Waldron. That was up and down. It, it, the injury really seemed like the biggest problem. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it was a personal thing. And as much as I was like having fun up top of like the personal back and forth, to me, it wasn't kind of an ownership question that when Russell Wilson started this process, mm -hmm. he, he sort of made it clear that 
ownership was probably going to have to choose one or the other unless something changed in the 2021 season and nothing changed. If anything, it got worse. They had their worst season mm-hmm. together. And so the time to make that choice was the end of that season. And, and I think they made it with Carol and Schneider and the relationship had run its course. And I think if Pete Carroll saw Russell Wilson as a top five quarterback, he would still be there though. I do think Russell Wilson's style of play and quality of play, at least partly informed the trade, even if from the outside. And I agree with you that it seems a little crazy that if you have the choice, you choose Russell Wilson. I, mm-hmm. I do think he's had his ups and downs over the last couple of years. And there's some reasonable questions about how his style of play will, will age in the next five years. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Can I briefly break in from this uh, topic and break in on this podcast segment and this podcast concept to give you some breaking news, Greg? Please. On what just happened in the NFL. We have a major, major free agent signing. I think this is a top 20 player from the Greg Rosenthal Top 101. Von Miller has signed. And do you know where Von Miller has signed? It is a, a team that I did not see remotely linked to Von Miller at any point during this process, which makes it a very intriguing signing. Can you well, guess? Well, let, let's hear it. The, the, the listeners want to know. They probably know. Already. They already know. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really just trying to build up the drama for you. The Buffalo Bills have signed wow. Von Miller. Wow. Number three on my list. Uh, three. Af- at, well, after you wiped away all the franchise tag guys and stuff, we, he, once free agency actually started, yeah, he was playing that well at the end of that season. Wow, you love that move. And it's funny because the Bills have been poking around at the margins of free agency and doing a lot of like little smart Bills mm-hmm. moves. And then here they come with the haymaker, which is what, yeah. exactly what they need, which is a pass rush. I mean, they, they're sort of transitioning up front, I mean, they love uh, Mario Addison is a free agent now. Jerry Hughes is a free agent. Efe Obata is a free agent. They have that young core on the edge with Gregory Rousseau. Harrison Basham, Phillips left. AJ Epinesa, Harrison Phillips left on the interior. So, I mean, they're transitioning for sure. And now adding Von Miller, I mean, just, you know, it, it just feels like it's a, this is our, not all in move, but this is our, like, this is the final piece we think we need. And I buy it the way he played down the stretch. You obviously want you want him to stay healthy uh, and and stay at that level. But like his numbers, if you look through the playoff run, was basically the same as his numbers in the 2015 playoff run. He's a great run defender. I it's a lot of money, but we're we're not seeing the guarantees and the structure of it now. So I hesitate to have too many opinions on that. Usually these things work out to be about two or three year deals, and they were able to fill it in. I really love the way Ed Oliver played down the stretch last year. I like the signing they had with Tim Settle, who's someone I always liked in Washington. <laughs> so you add Von Miller to that. I mean, the only reason they didn't win the Super Bowl was their defense was Sean McDermott's prize defense. Couldn't couldn't get a stop uh, in the playoffs. I, I think Josh Allen's ready to ready to roll and go do this thing. And, and I love it. I think that's the first time Tim Settle's been mentioned on this podcast. I have to admit. He's just one of those guys that you watch and it's like, hey, that guy does things. That's good. Get a guy that does things. I like that guy. 
would love if you were Tim Settle's agent, just pitching him. He's a guy who does things. I mean, I know what you mean. What more can you really ask for uh, from a 329 pound, uh, you know, rotational defensive tackle, at least in terms of my analysis, what more can you ask for? That's fair. That's fair. I, I, I literally could not have given you a single thought on Tim Settle if you had asked me. Well, there that's are why players. That's why you don't you don't do the one hundred and one. You know, that's that's why it that's happens. Fair. That Where was Tim Settle in the one hundred and one? I don't know if he made it. Actually, <laughs> wow, <laughs> not even in the one hundred and one. He, 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 he was on like the one thirty or something. But Greg, they need Russo to step up a little bit, and Epinesa, as you mentioned, was a little quiet. But they, they've. I've been on a journey. I don't know about you. We we were probably both Josh Allen skeptics, right, Bill? Am oh, I right? sure. So For sure. I feel like I've been on a journey with him, with them. And now I just feel like they're, they've been so well run and so well coached. And Josh Allen was those two playoff games were as good as two playoff games as any quarterback I've ever seen just about mm-hmm. that. I like now I just feel like they kind of deserve to be next up and I'm in on them just like capitalizing and getting this thing done for, for the people of Buffalo. I mean, I, I think this is a, a a swing that was worth taking. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. You know, stranger things have happened. Von Miller is coming off a half season playing next to Aaron Donald, which has been a boon to players in the past, certainly. But I still feel like they can find a way to make Von Miller work. I know so many players have come to Buffalo and played better than they did before they were in Buffalo. And so, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Von Miller played at a high level for a couple of years after this deal. And um, a guy who, I mean... Is already a hall of already going to be a hall of famer. I think it's fair to say, you know, this is his chance to win a third ring with three different teams over the course of six or seven years. I don't think that's ever been done, by the way. And uh, I agree with you. It's a good point on how Buffalo maximizes their talent. Like Addison and Jerry Hughes, you just mentioned, were playing great, and and they're two years older than Von Miller, mm-hmm. who's thirty-two here. They they don't need to have him play a thousand snaps in Buffalo. Uh, he, he made himself so much money though, in that playoff run. If you can, like, if, if somehow he had just stayed in Denver and had kind of a mediocre end of his season, he would be making half of this. Like no one made more money in in the playoffs than him. Are you surprised the Rams didn't get the deal done? No. Now that I see the figures, cause the, the base value is six for one twenty, and they just, I don't know if they could have possibly kept him at that level they probably in what what the reporting was is they extended pretty hard but i i think he went for a a good chance to win the title and the most money which is a nice combo i can't can't believe you would quote a base number here on this podcast well i'm just saying that's all we got right now i would never make any assumptions based on a base value you know that greg rosenthal never never ever let's talk about someone else talked about von miller talked about russell wilson Let's get to the other big story happening right now in the NFL, which maybe shouldn't be a big story. I'm not sure. There might not actually be anything happening. But let's get to your next tweet, Greg. Quote, unquote, the Browns showed no interest in extending Baker, assuming to Baker Mayfield, after they scored 48 points on the Steelers in the playoffs. It's safe to say this isn't about his shoulder. I'm not sure I agree with this one. So I want to hear what you have to say about Baker Mayfield, and if you think this is supported by the majority of the evidence here, I believe that if if they believed Baker in Baker Mayfield, they would have talked extension last off season. He was coming off a great end of that season, sure. week seventeen against the Steelers, and the two playoff games was as good a three game stretch as he ever had. He was going into the fifth year of his rookie contract. Usually, you would start negotiations with a, a great rookie quarterback maybe a year before that, and they didn't even bring it up. I mean, they didn't draft him either. And that to me says they had serious doubts about his ability in that system. And that even though he played well, um, that he maybe wasn't the right fit for it or that his ceiling as a quarterback just wasn't that high. They didn't draft him in the first place. And I don't think they ever totally viewed him as their guy. And then uh, what happened in 2021 and his leadership style. You certainly uh, hear about that too, that he wasn't maybe necessarily the most popular that that is added to it. But I think it just starts with his play. And that's the main thing. I mean, his play was much better before the injury. No, absolutely. But I think 
kind of like a Kirk Cousins, like a lower, like to me, a slightly below a Kirk Cousins. Like I think he had limitations that prevented them from wanting to offer that big contract. Like he doesn't see the field that well, um, especially over the middle. He holds on to the ball forever. And that works if you're Russell Wilson, but he, he, he like tries to play like Russell Wilson and he doesn't have that athleticism or creativity. And I think that is partly why he's been so streaky up and down in his career. And I don't know if he was like a fit of Kevin Stefanski, who, um, you know, my colleague Andrew Hawkins played in that system. And he always says like, there's a right answer on every play. It's like a test for every quarterback. And there's like a right answer. And they like quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins, who just kind of go one to two and they, they make the right uh, choice on every play. And I don't know if Baker Bayfield is that guy. Can you rank the following quarterbacks for me from one to five, assuming average roster, average coaching, average contract, just in terms of how they play on the field? One to five, from one being the best, five being the worst. So just skill. Who's the best? Just skill. Okay. Carson Wentz, Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, Ryan Tannehill, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Cousins and Tannehill are one, two. They're close. I would personally rather have Tannehill, I think. But those are one, two. Really? Baker and Jimmy are close. <sighs> Probably go Baker three, Jimmy four, Wentz five. Wow. I don't know that I would agree with that. I would go Kirk one. I would maybe go Jimmy two. I would go I would go Cousins, Jimmy, Tannehill, Wentz. Cousins or sorry, uh, Mayfield. Okay. I've got no problem. I've got no problem with that. So you wait. So what did you agree? Disagree with me in, in the first tweet? Uh, doesn't sound like you're much of a believer, which is essentially what I was getting at, which is that the Browns (laughs) never believed in him and his talent. Greg, I I don't know if you know this. I don't work for the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns have different opinions than me about football players. Okay. I, 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 I think, I think the Browns were more optimistic about Baker Mayfield. I, I don't think they were in a position where they were like desperate to sign him the way the Bills were with Josh Allen, but I don't think they were like, yeah, we're probably getting rid of this guy. I think they were like, I think they were more up in the air than maybe that tweet would suggest. But okay, well, I, I then don't want to suggest that. I think they were up in the air. That's fair, but they didn't even make an offer. It wasn't even like, hey, because we know you have an ego and you believe in yourself. We're going to make some sort of offer. It was like, now we're not even going to entertain giving you a contract extension and sure. Let's see how this next season goes. Absolutely. Uh, And then go from there. But that it just isn't, it's not how the Ravens would be acting with Lamar Jackson or the bills would be acting with, with Josh Allen. It's just not how you would do it. If you really believe he he's the guy. And then, the way I think he handled the shoulder injury and everything during last season, I also think was, was part of it. Like he, like he makes it about himself. What? Hold on. Let's go back here. Number one, Lamar Jackson has not signed a contract with the Baltimore Ravens. Right. But they've, they've given him offers. They haven't, they haven't been like, yeah, they, they've reportedly given up to like a 35 a year or something like that. Nothing that he doesn't seem that interested in it interestingly but well, that's not that's not a good offer 35 million dollars a year no but it's something i mean it, it's not oh, like so. hey we're gonna talk to you in a couple of years they've they've had negotiations i think he wants to play out the kirk cousins uh franchise tag idea which is kind of a fun idea it's worked out great for kirk cousins i mean kirk cousins has gotten paid a ton of money uh doing that he's changed the world for kirk cousins and nobody else and i guess demarcus lawrence based on uh what happened oh actually here's a tweet about Demarcus Lawrence, Greg. Quote, unquote, hey, we know you have been our best and most respected player, and we are willing to pay you literally four times this much money in a week where push comes to shove. But let's try to slip this one by you in case your agent has no clue about market value regarding a one-year $10 million offer from the Cowboys to Demarcus Lawrence. This one even had Demarcus Lawrence's agent reply. That's <laughs> how much of a difference maker, how much of a thought leader you are on Twitter, Greg Rosenthal. So please explain where you're coming from here. I wish I was. That's This is why I've avoided um, having any relationships with agents. Um, I don't usually like 
like the relationship and it just seems like a <laughs> bad idea. Uh, although I do know David Kenner a little bit. Uh, well, that was it, it needed some context, but our, our mutual friend, Will Brinson, had noted Lawrence uh, got a one year, $10 million offer from the Cowboys to mm-hmm. to uh, start negotiations, which is crazy. And I was just making the point, even the best players like he's literally the most respected and along with Dak, certainly like the best player on the Cowboys over the last six or seven years, even the best players get treated like they're going to be marks because the Cowboys literally a week or two after making that offer one year, $10 million ended up paying him 40 million over three years, 30 of mm-hmm. which were guaranteed. So they were just, they were just hoping. And this is someone who's played outstanding for them and continues to, uh, that he'll just like take or, or counter something terrible near there. Like, we're just going to see if we can pull one over on you. And, and luckily, uh, he didn't take that. And I think luckily for Cowboys fans, they ended up keeping him. I mean, um, I think DeMarcus Lawrence is a good player. I would say even very good. This is a guy who has has not had double digit sacks since 2018. And not that sacks are everything, but I mean, it is Demarcus Lawrence. If he was going to get a one year deal on the open market, what do you think it would be for? Twenty million. Twenty million dollars. He would get the Von Miller. Maybe seven. Average you know. Yeah, because signing a one year deal is is a team friendly deal if they have the room mm-hmm. to do it. That's why the tag is always such a good deal. And so if Harold Landry is getting 16 or 17 and Chandler Jones is getting 17 per and two guaranteed, then to me, Lawrence at least would be right there or, or a little above it. I remember when Zeke was going to sign his contract, there was like months of discussion about whether the Cowboys should do it. There was discussion about whether, you know, what would be a fair deal. And it came down to pretty much the last second. And then Zeke signed a contract that was pretty much exactly in line with what you would have expected. Six years, $90 million. Um, Mm. I remember thinking, like, why did it take you guys so long to do this deal? Like, you got to exactly what everyone would have expected in terms of average annual salary, in terms of the length. Guarantees were pretty straightforward. And it's probably because the Cowboys were just giving Zeke terrible offers for the first (laughs) six months of that negotiation based on what happened with Demarcus Lawrence here. Right. Like I, I'm not an idiot. I understand like negotiations start sort of in one place and they end in another. My point was they, they said they were maybe going to cut them and that their first offer was one for 10 when they knew like that they would go up to 40. So that's mm-hmm. like that they would go up to 30 guaranteed. So it just, something strikes me. It, it I hate when bosses or people in positions of power assume that the people under them are dumber than them. It's like, no, you didn't get there because you're smarter. You got there for various reasons. In this case, it's Stephen Jones, you know, negotiating the contract. You got there because you're the son of the owner. Mm-hmm. So Greg Rosenthal just said, you're not an idiot. And I don't, I don't think you're an idiot, Greg. This is not why I have you on the show. It looks like you think everyone else is an idiot, though, based on this next tweet. <laughs> oh, no. This is uh, a, a little sample dialogue from this tweeter from you, Patriots. We're trading a 28-year-old guard playing at a top 10 level, making less money than Alex Kappa for a fifth-round pick. Everyone, not like exceptions, weren't like everyone but Bill or everyone <laughs> but uh, Will Brinson. Everyone. Ah, yes, of course. Carry on, then. I include myself in the everyone, though. No. Like my my first reaction for a solid six hours before I sent that tweet out, like late later in the night, was just like, "Oh yeah, well, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, that's fine, and he must know something." Because it's just we've it was a joke, sort of, about how we've been conditioned to accept any Patriots move as mm-hmm. as something that has great thought and and sense behind it. Because it's probably true. In the end, this will probably work out well for the Patriots. They'll probably spend the cap space well, and maybe Shaq Mason won't be as good. But it's just funny to me after covering the league. Like, if any team, you have to admit, Bell made this trade other than the Patriots, everyone would be like, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, there's a famous Sam Miller tweet. Uh, quote, unquote, love this trade for the Rays. Who'd they give up and who'd they get? <laughs> it kind of feels like that with the Patriots, where it's just like, oh, this is a great move once I figure out these specifics of what's happening. So, I mean, let me ask you then, 
Greg, you've watched the Patriots now for as long as we've been doing this. What are they thinking? Why why do you think they made this trade, giving up Shaq Mason, uh, by all accounts, a very good guard for a fifth-round pick? That they Number one, they needed the cap space. They didn't have a ton. I don't know how they're going to use it, but you know they did free up, I think, seven, eight, nine million dollars in cap space that they mm-hmm. could use. That they could replace him either on their roster um, by moving some guys around. You know, Owenu is great, and maybe they want to play him at guard. Maybe they like this draft class. Mason's had some injuries and it's been up and down somewhat throughout his career. Last year was a high. So it feels mm-hmm. like you're selling high, but all you got was a fifth round pick. So that part is just confusing because you you look at his contract. He, he's only 28 years old mm-hmm. and he's due, I think, under $15 million over the next two years. And you look at who's signing for that money in the free agency. Like he mm-hmm. signed for, he is going to be paid Shaq Mason way, way less than Lakin Tomlinson over the next two mm-hmm. years. And, there, and he's a far superior player. So it's hard to figure, but what the Patriots, I think a lot of it comes down to, is he our guy? Like he was our type of guy. He was known as certainly not a problem, anything like that, but whatever they see and they think it's going to be the next couple of years, they just felt like now's a good time to, to get rid of him, I guess. I right. Cause they're not getting anything back for him. They're just get, it was basically a dump. dump. It's a salary dump. I'm not satisfied with that answer, Greg. That's not good enough for me. I Maybe that's good enough for uh, NFL Network, but not here. Not here, Greg. Because look at that offensive line. They've lost. They just lost Joe Thune last year to free agency. They had a great guard combination. Now it's uh, Michael Nwenu, who was very good as a rookie, and I think more in, inconsistent last year. And then the other guard spot is a question mark. And Trent Brown, their starting right tackle when healthy, is also a free agent. Isaiah Wynn, their starting left tackle. Uh, has pretty much constantly either hurt or not playing at 100%. I mean, there's a lot of question marks about this offensive line. So I was a little surprised that in in going out to create cap space, the position they went out to go get was or to get rid of was guard. I mean, they're giving Devin McCourty a big deal. We don't know what the specifics of the uh, you know the contract structure are going. Was to only be nine million, one for nine, roughly. Right, but, but like, did they structure it? Is it all up front? Did they add right. voidable years? Like, what did they do to make this deal work financially? Like, I, I just, I find it so tough to believe there wasn't a better solution than going out and dumping one of your few remaining really consistent and reliable offensive linemen. No, no, that's, I mean, I'm mystified by it. I mean, I think that came across. They did re-sign James Ference, Kirk Ference's kid, like right before that. And in, mm-hmm. if the season started today, he would be the right guard. And maybe they really like James Ference. I, I sort of doubt it. Uh, I, I get mystified by Patriots moves quite a bit and they've, they've worked out, but Mason was a core piece of what on paper, it was the biggest strength on their team, which was their interior offensive line. Or when you Andrews and Mason would have been it. Maybe Owenu is going to play right tackle, but it. I'm with you. They their roster, I think, has more holes in it right now, especially defensively, than than people realize. Now, let me ask you: in terms of the big picture with the Patriots moving on from guys, is that reputation of moving on when you're supposed to move on and Bill Belichick being sort of airtight when it comes to making these trades, is that well-earned in recent years? Do you feel like he has sort of lost his touch a little bit when it comes to trading guys or moving on from guys at the right time? Or do you think this is enough for you to believe there's something with Shaq Mason that would give you uh, some some reason for concern if you were making this sort of deal? I don't think they're much different than league average in most of their personnel decisions. They Now, they have a very... Ooh. They have a system in how they do things. And I think the system itself, as you said, sort of moving on from guys, having their guys, guys that are can be versatile, guys that can do what the coaches say, essentially, and change their game plan each and every week. That overarching system and how they view positions, that, that's obviously been incredibly successful. But if you're just looking brass tacks like personnel moves, draft, free agency, I think it's probably, you know, a little better than league average. It's not, it's not like they've had a lot of wins. They've had plenty of losses too. It's just that I don't think they've have some magic formula. 
How much do you think the loss of Jack Easterby has hurt their player personnel development? <laughs> I think that was uh, one of the better um, departures that they've had. The only concern, and, and this kind of cracks me up, that in New England, I don't know if you're uh, locked into this as a storyline, Bill, is everyone's concerned that there's almost no one left in their front office or coaching staff. It's just <laughs> kind of like Belichick, Patricia, and his sons. There's like, if you look at the, you, you look at their media guide on the website or whatever, it's just like six people on the coaching <laughs> staff and front office combined, uh, like Matt, Patricia, him and Joe judge are just kind of sending text messages between each other. And that's about it. I mean, you know, like this is the same thing where if the Bengals were doing this, we'd be furious. We'd be like, Oh, they're so cheap. They're not spending money but for the Patriots. We're just like, yeah, that uh, they're smart. And Matt, Patricia, you know, you, you can't fault the guy. Like clearly he's qualified to do this job. And to be fair, they had a great offseason last year for the most part. Not every single move worked out. Uh, certainly, Johnu Smith, if, if his money wasn't guaranteed this year, he would no longer be on the team. He he was kind of a disaster for them. Aguilar was was a C-minus pickup at, at best. But for the most part, they had good signings. Judon, Mac Jones was obviously a home run. Barmar, Barmore, I mean, that was their best draft they had in a while. Mm-hmm. But the, their roster, I think, going into last year was in such a place of transition that it's not they're not going to get out of it in one year and i think you're seeing that this year when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Another team in transition, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You had this to say, quote unquote, I could not believe how well new Buccaneer Russell Gage played down the stretch. It made me feel dumb for anything I previously <laughs> thought about Russell Gage. So please contextualize this. Number one, what did you think about Russell Gage before this stretch? And number two, what did you see down the stretch that made you change your mind so significantly? Well, number one, I didn't think much. I used to kind of get him <laughs> confused with Justin Gage. Remember him? Yes. He was in the Titans. <laughs> yes, I do. He was just sort of a, you know, Russell Gage to me was just sort of a forgettable replacement level, third or fourth slot receiver type of guy. Mm-hmm. And then what I saw, cause I, 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 I don't know why I watched every single, I watched every Falcons game last year. <laughs> they were a really weird team, but they had a lot of fun players actually because of the quarter pattern. Gage can do everything. Like I couldn't believe it. The, he can run routes. He can play inside. He can play out. If I had to pick a player, he reminded me most in the league, it would be Chris Godwin, who he's wow. essentially, going to be replacing while Godwin comes back from his ACL. And then when Godwin's back, it's like, great, uh, Godwin and then poor man's Godwin. That sounds fun. Tom Brady would absolutely love a player like that. But the athleticism and uh, the acrobatic catches and the hands like that surprised me. I just didn't know he had it in him. I think he had 600 yards and 50 catches in his last eight games. Wow. Can we play one of my favorite games about players from the recent past? Please. Uh, when did Justin Gage retire? What was his last season in the NFL? 2014? 2010. Okay, Dude. yeah. It's been more than a decade since we've had Justin Gage in the NFL, Greg. Right, and I still would would make that mistake. And if if I I would have guessed 2018, but I knew the number was going to be lower. We're we're old and all these guys you know start blending together. Routinely I am like four years off on this game. I'm always like, four, it's four years more recent than it actually is. So I'm happy that you confirmed my prior that I'm not the only person who feels that way. We could do an entire podcast just on that. I'd be down. I, I wouldn't 
it wouldn't make me like hate myself as much as hearing my own tweet back to me out loud does. I mean, it's not helping. Bill. Well, I'm going to keep going because it's fun for me. Uh, I agree with you on this one quite a bit, and I want to talk about it with you. All those Trubisky tweets for him to get Case Keenum slash Tyrod money. Please mm. explain why you tweeted this and how you feel about Mitch Trubisky going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I feel fine about him going to the Steelers. I think they needed some sort of bridge quarterback. And I personally, you know, would have taken Teddy over him or even Andy Dalton. Um, but I get why they did it. And I don't think there's some huge difference. The The tweet is talking about the phenomenon that started to pick up really around NFL combine week mm-hmm. that analysts and reporters we're talking up Trubisky that he was like the prize of this free agency crop. <laughs> and then he was going to get big time starter money and like watch out for what happens for Trubisky, which mm-hmm. I didn't understand and uh, ultimately ended up totally false. I did. I mean, I, I think the deal ended up being pretty reasonable. You know, it was I, fine. I think it, it was, was fine. It I had no problem with it. It was fair. Like, I think for the Steelers, it's pretty good to get a guy who we know can be God, the number I'm going to say here is just going to get me in trouble. Like the 26th best quarterback in football, maybe. I mean, on a two-year, $14 million deal, we don't know the specifics as of yet, which makes me think that it's probably pretty team-friendly. Like that's... I I think there was. I think it was seven or eight guaranteed in the first year. It was almost identical to what Tyrod ended up signing for for the Giants in terms of the guarantees, and and it was two years. And similar to Teddy. Now, I personally would would take Teddy, but that's not a surprise. Maybe Mitch offers you a little more upside and mm-hmm. unknown, but I don't know if I want that unknown with Trubisky because I think there's a bigger downside with him too. Can I point out something about Tyrod Taylor that does not get talked about enough, Greg? Please. With with, We always hear that certain quarterbacks are great mentors, that they do a great job of helping develop younger quarterbacks. Over the last three years, this is what Tyrod Taylor last four years, I should say, excuse me. This is what Tyrod Taylor has done. He joined the Browns and immediately after losing his job, Baker Mayfield played maybe the best football of his entire career over the second half of that season. Tyrod Taylor probably deserves some credit for developing Baker Mayfield. He goes to Los Angeles Chargers. Two games in, he is attacked by the team doctor, loses his job, Justin Herbert, who plays great. Maybe Tyrod Taylor deserves some credit for developing Justin Herbert. He goes to the Texans last year. Inconsistent, some good, some bad from Tyrod Taylor. But Davis Mills exceeds, I would say, the vast majority of expectations, especially during the final month of the year. Davis Mills was fine, which for a rookie third rounder is is, is pretty rare. So, like, if this were Josh McCown, I feel like this would actually be used to justify a head coaching job for Josh McCown, but Tyrod Taylor Mm. is not getting that same sort of credit for being such a great mentor to these young quarterbacks. That's a great point. Hadn't really thought of it. And I think, I think you're right. And I think he is getting the credit in terms of these contracts. I think that informed, he is a little more like a Josh McCown as a player. You know what I mean? Um, In terms of the career that he's having, he, he's, he started out last season. Great. Like his first six quarters. uh, And then he got hurt at halftime against the Browns. I I remember those two games. I mean, he lit up the Jags and he was started. He played a great first half against the Browns and he got hurt and he Mm -hmm. did not play well when he came back from the injury at, at mid season. So that was disappointing, but it's kind of, what do you feel as a, um, as a giants fan? I, if I'm you, I don't really want to see, Tyrod fitting in Brian Dable's scheme. Although on paper, he kind of would work. I want Daniel Jones to actually work. I think I'm pretty, pretty close to giving up the ghost on Tyrod and Daniel Jones, frankly. Like I don't, I'm not not sure who I want to win that job, but neither of them feel all that great to me. I I think Daniel Jones is, has like a little more chance here than people give him credit for, but you know, I've been reasonably high on Daniel. And by that, I mean, I think he can have a, a better version of a Teddy and Denver type of season in him with the giants, with good coaching, which it would be a big upgrade from where they've been is all I'm saying. How good would he have to be this year 
for you for like you a to, mid-level like ending up as like the 18th or 16th best quarterback that type of thing which is you know better than they've had so he would need to be like a Tannehill. he would have potential for that long term but not quite oh, Tannehill man. yet I, I i could just hear in your voice the 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 fear in having to attach yourself to the uh, even that mod that's that modest of takes uh, that Greg that Greg Rosenthal would believe that Daniel Jones could be Ryan Tannehill in 2021 2022 excuse me I know Tannehill finished the season bad but I have really come to appreciate the Ryan Tannehill experience uh, uh, as a whole and I think he's kind of, you know I do think there is something to the you know quarterback that we obviously don't get a good feel of uh, but mm-hmm. I I think. Tannehill checks those boxes. I don't. I don't know if Daniel Jones does. Who knows? We don't really know what people think of Daniel Jones. I mean, Ryan Tannehill had to go somewhere else to sort of prove that he was a a viable above average NFL quarterback. He was he was okay in Miami, but um, certainly was much better after joining Tennessee. So maybe that's the case for Daniel Jones as well. At least Daniel Jones is athletic. He's he's not like unentertaining to watch, which is mostly how I view things. How is it impacting my life? This is said as someone who admitted to watching every Falcons game last year as well, though. Keep that in mind, people. They like they if they could block, then Matt Ryan looked like a real quarterback. And if they couldn't, they were the worst team I've ever seen. It was (laughs) (laughs) it was interesting. It's so funny because like they are the team where everyone based on years past is like oh they're so unlucky they were one of the luckiest teams in football last year their roster right now um i think would rank 30th 31st or 32nd i don't i don't even know who the other teams are the texans the giants might be in that mix but i i would actually put the falcons and the texans as the two teams that stand out to me as maybe the worst rosters in the nfl right now they they did not have a good roster last year, and then they've been stripped for parts by free agency so far. They lost, they lost their best wide receiver by a significant margin. Uh, not even considering Calvin Ridley, who was suspended for the year, but they lose Russell Gage to Tampa, and they lost uh, who else? Did they lose Foyekade Oluwakan. Like the their their maybe best linebacker. I don't know if Deion jo- the Deion Jones hype is over, but like their second third best defensive player from a year ago and don't have the cap space to replace either of those guys no and had to like push money into the future for matt ryan who might be in this quarterback carousel things still i i think arthur smith did a nice job scraping seven wins out from that team i'm with you mm-hmm. well they i think they were 32nd in dvoa oh so there you go yeah it all it all checks out what team what team did you watch the least of in 2021 i mean i'm a dork i watch the it's i watch the condensed which is not like the sure. cool tapehead thing of a lot of the teams if i can't watch a longer version uh so i watch i watch them all so i i would say i gave up on a couple of the last couple of weeks but i watch all the games you watch every single game on condensed every single week i do because i do that qb index and i like to feel sure. like i've watched every guy uh during the week so, some this I watch the full games and whatnot, but yeah. This is a dedicated man. This is a man who's grinding the condensed tape. I, I will say, I try to watch everyone a fair amount. I do not watch every game every single week. I will be honest. I, I, I didn't watch that Browns-Bengals backup battle between Keenum and Brandon Allen in week 18. I still got to circle back to that. <laughs> um, but, but, but yeah, there were some week 18 games to skip for sure. Do you have a day on your calendar? where you plan on watching that like is it on your you're on the books for like someday in june you're gonna sit down and watch brown spangles week 18. i used to do that but i won't i won't do that no <laughs> <laughs> the players who scored points in this game i've never heard of before like trayvon henderson returned to fumble 29 yards for a touchdown for the Bengals, who made it to the super bowl i uh i i don't know i i when i think back to the, those times like week 18 and it's once we're kind of into the off season, this is a very busy week, but it's still the off season. Like I almost get like, I don't even like to feel that feeling anymore. You know what I mean? It's like a different mm-hmm. person, a different time. <laughs> I appreciate that. I know what you mean. I agree. Um, uh, I, I disagree with this one. 
March 14th, Greg Rosenthal, I promise it's just not it's not just Teddy, but I like what the Dolphins are doing. What what do you like about what the Dolphins are doing here, Greg? Okay, they Mike McDaniel first of all. So that's I I like the idea of him and that offense. I like okay. his joie de vivre, you know, I like what I've heard about him. Um, I like the idea of Cedric Wilson, like as his four on the field okay. at the same time as Jalen Waddle. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Sure. I love Teddy as a backup. Um, I agree. No issue there. And, and I think, you know, as a Teddy fan, who's never quite given up that, you know, this could be, why would you Right, the best coach for him? Um, mm-hmm. I always just really like Chase Edmonds as a player. Uh, I know paying running backs isn't the most efficient use of resources, but they didn't pay him that much. And I just think he's a good player. And and so you add players that I personally like, I'm going to like it. And then Agba, I thought bringing him back made a ton of sense. Uh, he, they paid him a lot, but I think he was one of the better free agent signings of the last five years when they signed him to a two-year deal before. And he's, mm-hmm. to me, just as good as basically any defensive lineman that that signed in free agency. So that's a lot of things to like. Wow. That's that there's a big leap between Emmanuel Agba is a really good signing, which he was, and Emmanuel Agba is as good as any defensive lineman who was in free agency in a class with I mean Von Miller comes to mind. I you know, maybe Emmanuel Agba was just as good. I'm a little skeptical. Um where was he on, on the top one oh one? He was tenth, I believe. Um, so I just think he's a really good down to down player, very consistent, plays a thousand snaps. You kind of know what you're getting and and younger than the Chandler Jones and Von Miller category, you know, four years younger. He he played seven hundred and fifty five snaps. Okay, okay, don't hit me with your facts. (laughs) I mean, he's a good player for sure. And and I don't and you know what you have, at least the defensive staff there knows what they have. I think there's. There's something major to that. Like when the when the Chargers signed Sebastian Joseph Day, who I don't have like a hot take about, but the fact that Brandon Staley coached him in, with the Rams, it's just like, okay, that makes sense. You know exactly what you're getting. That's There's mm-hmm. a lot of value in that to me. Okay, that's fine. I, I, I don't have an issue with Agba re-signing there for good money. Not, not a problem there. Let's go through the other stuff. So they signed Connor Williams, who was like the one Cowboys lineman who wasn't good. Like it, it's so hard to be a Cowboys lineman and not be really good at your job. And yet Connor Williams managed to pull that off, Greg. Yeah, he was one of the guys that I really regretted ranking too high in the top 101. Like mm-hmm. you you post it and there's no 2.0. This isn't like Daniel Jeremiah and his mock drafts. I don't get seven wow. shots at this <laughs> to fix my mistakes. And I like got feedback of like, why is Connor Williams so high from Cowboys? It's like, oh, wait, maybe you're right. <laughs> it was like, it was just like, well, he's young and he's play. He he's never hurt. He's been a starter, you know, playing very durable for three years. His PFF mm-hmm. grades are are high, but I think the tape watchers are not fans of him. Uh, and mm-hmm. and I'll defer to that. Maybe that's not the greatest signing, but they didn't pay him as much as some of the other guards, at least. That's true. They did not. They could have signed Shaq Mason for or traded a fifth round pick for Shaq, for Shaq Mason. That could have been an option. I don't know if he was available to them. Maybe I don't think they would give him to the to the Dolphins, uh, just so that the Dolphins could like beat them in Miami for the 17th okay. year. <laughs> That's going to happen whether they have Shaq Mason or not. Uh, Cedric Wilson, I mean, an exciting player, fun last year for sure, as like the fourth option in the Cowboys offense. I- incredible arm. I mean, I think about his touchdown pass <laughs> once a week. In, and I, I tweeted, I tweeted after the signing, wow, now the Dolphins have a... Uh, a downfield passing attack. And I think some people realized it was about him throwing the ball as opposed to him catching the ball downfield. Um, But this is a guy who scored six touchdowns on 45 receptions last year. Like the chances of him doing that again are so infinitesimally small. And if he's not that guy, like this is a guy who was being seen as a replacement level wide receiver before 2020. Like it's so hard for that guy to turn into a useful player. It's not a ton of money, but I just, you know, the the making him a priority was kind of surprising to me. It guaranteed him twelve point seven million dollars. It's it's basically I'm trying to do the math here, but a two for fourteen or two for thirteen type of thing. Those guys though that don't get 
you know, a lot of run earlier in their career, like a Cedric Wilson, like he, you know, he's going to help on returns. He's basically replacing Jakeem Grant. I don't think it's like a crazy pick, but sometimes those guys do have a nice second run. Uh, Wes Welker is sort of the, the most famous example of that, but I think he could be a nice player. And I just like the idea of Mike McDaniel using him a little bit like they kind of use Kendrick Bourne and, and different players in, in San Francisco. Okay. Wes Welker was going from an offense where his quarterback was Joey Harrington to a quarterback to an offense where his quarterback was Tom Brady. That's Cedric why Wilson that's why you're the best though, that you could just rip off Harrington just like that. Did you No. No, I had to look it up. Okay. I just typed it quietly. That was I, good. Cleo Levin. Cleo Levin also started the game for that Dolphins team in 2006. Uh, but like like he was going from a terrible situation to a much more impressive situation with the Patriots. It doesn't feel like that's happening with Cedric Wilson. That's the tough part to me is that like you're already getting it from a situation where he was in the best possible spot, like great offense, very good quarterback, tons of weapons around him, was never seeing double coverage. Not that he's going to see double coverage here in Miami, but just like it, he, has, he has to make like a real sort of leap in terms of his ability to attract targets in terms of his volume. And maybe he has that in him. It's not that much money, but the Chase Edmonds contract, like is Chase Evans really worth twice as much or close to twice as much as uh, as J.D. McKissick? Is he really a that much of a better player than Duke Johnson, who they already had on the roster and who was producing for them at the end of the season? Like, And who like, had an all-time tweet after the Baker Mayfield yes. news, so which is valuable, you, too. I always love Duke Johnson. You yeah. retweeted that. Duke Johnson's a good player. And, and, like, you know, it's not as if the 49ers should have any naivete about how easy it is to plug in running backs or how 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 easy it is to find running backs who are useful i i get that chase Evans is a useful receiver um it's not a exorbitant sum of money it's not the jared mckinnon contract the niners gave to jared mckinnon but it just feels like you're just barking up the wrong tree like what's the point like what how how good is chase Evans really going to be relative to the guys you could find to play running back in this offense I guess I'm giving a lot of credit to just Mike McDaniel having a vision for these guys and going after the guys that he wanted. And that if Edmonds is a good player, you know, a great player as kind of in that role for him, then it'll make sense. But you're right. I, I don't know if I would have tweeted, let's be real, unless they signed Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, that's, sort of, <laughs> that's sort of the whole thing. I mean, we have to be the only, uh, football podcast that's spending this much time on the Dolphins this week because it's, it's I don't feel like they've been front and center. Well, general. well, on top of all that, Greg, the thing that is the biggest crime here is the crime of omission. They have not addressed right tackle. Jesse Davis is still the blindside pass protector for Tua Tango Vialoa and the frontside pass protector for our beloved Teddy Bridgewater, and he's not good at that job. And I watched the Ravens today sign Morgan Moses, who has not missed a game in seven years, who was good for the Jets last year, to a three-year, $15 million contract. And the Dolphins said, no, we're not going to top that. Maybe Morgan Moses just desperately wanted to play in Baltimore, but usually guys would rather play in Miami than in Baltimore. And the Dolphins did not get that deal done. I, I am really disappointed that they have not done more to address what is a terrible offensive line in the early days of free agency. I think that's fair, but I also don't want to do that thing where you're getting on a team for not being done with their off season on the first official day of being able to sign. They have $24 million in cap space. Free agency has a long way to go. More than half of that top 101 that we talked about is still available. And there's good players not on that list too. You're right. The offensive line really needs to be addressed. I would say it'd be, it was the among the worst I've ever seen over a two year period, <laughs> the last two years. But the number one thing they did is change their coaching staff. Cause to me, the offensive lines are more about coaching um, than just talent. I, I think that it's, it's, it seems like a market inefficiency that a, a good coach or a good scheme for offensive line or a good offensive mm -hmm. line coach is worth so much because if you have that, you can get to average like that. And I think that's what they're counting on. They definitely need to shuffle the personnel though too. Okay. Based on what you're telling me here, I feel like your expectations for Mike McDaniel are super high in year one. 
Yeah, I'm just expecting him to be Kyle Shanahan, basically. So we'll <laughs> see if that happens. <laughs> I think it's, what? you know, I have very little um, insidery insight, uh, but mm. one of my coworkers, Andrew Hawkins, told me three or four years ago that Mike McDaniel was the best coach he's ever coached that he ever had in the entire NFL. And he's one of, and, wow. and Hawk is one of the smartest people I've ever met. And, and he seems to be right about everything. And so I think I put a lot into that one comment that like, this is the best coach I've ever had. He's going to kill it whenever he becomes a coach. And that was years and years ago. Uh, and so now I'm, I'm waiting for that vision to happen. Okay. If, if the Dolphins only make minor additions to this offense, if this is the core of this team heading into 2022, where do they have to finish in offensive DVOA for you to feel like that opinion about Mike McDaniel is accurate. <laughs> well, it's not just one year, but certainly let's say, what did they finish last year in offensive DVOA? Let's I look. don't think it was great. Is my suspicion. Let's see who can get it. 20. Faster. Yeah. 24. I started before I even asked the question. I, mm -hmm. I would say with the roster they have now and not having to change anything top 12 or 14 would be impressive. That would be a nice jump. And I think they will change the offensive line and, and make some more additions. But yeah, I think that would be maximizing what they have, especially considering their quarterback situation is a huge, huge question. <laughs> well, they got Teddy Bridgewater. They're fine now. It's funny because depending on how you look at it, like if you mention that, Teddy is basically the median outcome of Tua's career. I feel like Tua fans would get really upset. It's a, it's kind of like how I used to say that Baker's like a young Kirk Cousins. But it's like now, like wouldn't Kirk Cousins kind of be an, on the upper level mm -hmm. of outcomes for Baker's career? And it's like, be careful what you wish for. There's no guarantee that Tua is going to get to Teddy's career. We just, we don't know yet. I don't know. To and on is going to be furious. They finally got a Dolphins pod. I finally got a long <laughs> Dolphins discussion a on a national podcast, and you use that time to slander to a Tango Vailoa. No, I I actually kind of think I, he plays so differently than anyone else. He's obviously so good at one thing, which is quick game and making mm -hmm. quick decisions and accuracy. And if he gets better, kind of mentally and everything, like I could see it all working eventually. But it it's like threading a very very thin needle there. yes and it's been so impossible to judge i mean his offensive line has been so bad that the offense conceptually has been so heavily rpo based which i think is smart because he would have got killed if they had not done that but also he's good at that like i yes. i don't i think that'll always be a big part of his game because why wouldn't it be he that's one of the things he can be one of the best quarterbacks at yes so do you think or you think that do you think it's possible? You think it's likely that they finish top twelve? Likely is a loaded word. I am rooting for it, so sure. I want to see. I want to <laughs> see what else is coming out. Uh, that would be a great job coaching, wouldn't you agree? Like if if they are a top twelve DVOA offense, I feel like on paper they don't look anywhere close to that right now. So they would be a lot about coaching, but if. If the receiver group, and I don't know if they're going to add to it, they have Devontae Parker, they have Cedric Wilson, they have Waddle, they, they still might add another piece there. It could be pretty, pretty interesting. You know, you brought back Gasicki, which I like. Like, that's a lot of different guys to play point guard to in the way that Tua plays. This feels very Brandon Staley esque to me, where like football Twitter is going to be living and dying with what happens each week. Like there's going to be weeks where he looks like a genius and football Twitter is going to be going crazy about it and weeks where they're just a total mess and it's going to be all oh, whoever liked this idiot, total straw man stuff. So I feel like we have that to look forward to in 2022. Yeah, I'm more, I think, emotionally invested in Justin Herbert. I'm more of a players guy than a coach. You know, I don't, I don't know if I really root for coaches that much. I root for players more and like Justin Herbert, and Staley together, and the fact that my son said when J.C. Jackson left for the Chargers that he was going to become a Chargers fan because J.C. Jackson is his favorite player. I just feel like that's that's where my emotions are going to maybe be. J.C. Jackson already winning hearts and minds in the <laughs> Los Angeles area. Well, Craig, I'm not going to read you any more of your tweets. Thank you for playing along. 
I will not call you up randomly to read you a tweet and then hang up. I don't think we'll see what happens. I feel like but, I must have had some better ones than you know the dolphins and Teddy. I'm just yabbering on about that. I, I there there could have been more. We we had so much to say about the ones we did that I feel like I couldn't have gotten any further. We can do a two hour podcast if you want, but I feel like you need to go home. I need to go home. We need to just let the the actual money on the Von Miller's contract come in first before we can talk anymore. I have an update for you uh, of yeah. the Von Miller. Do we want to do this before you go? Uh, sure. It's more like a three-year, $53 million contract, which is still a lot. And most of the guarantees are in the first two years for about $32 million. And so that all, that all makes a little more sense. So right around 17 and a half, it looks like. Yeah, not too different. I think I really do think that Harold Landry contract slowed things down for edge rushers because everyone was like, well, you got to pay me more than Harold Landry. And so that was the floor <laughs> for, you know, they're all pretty much getting Harold Landry's contract in some form or another. Chandler Jones, Von Miller, uh, like they're, they're all in the same ballpark. Well, a man who deserves the Harold Landry contract, if you ask me, is Greg Rosenthal. Greg, We've alluded to your free agent coverage during this podcast. Where can people check out uh, all your analysis of free agency in the NFL? NFL.com, of course, in the Around the NFL podcast. We've been doing daily podcasts uh, this week, earning, earning that paycheck before things get a little quiet. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Greg. Always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Bill. All right. Thanks so much to one of the best in the business, a man who I've been talking to about football since I was in college, since I was just out of college, a long, long time with the NFL Network's Greg Rosenthal. Of course, check out everything Greg does. I know you're already listening to Around the NFL, one of the best podcasts on the planet when it comes to discussing football. So hope you guys are enjoying that. Hope you guys are enjoying free agency. I have a column up on ESPN Plus this week. Hope you guys enjoyed that. We'll have more audio coming next week. So thanks so much for listening and more on the way.